and welcome back. Now that we know a little bit about the basics of sustainable agriculture and everything else we're going to talk about today, I'd like to invite the special guest, Luke Peterson, to the podcast. Luke is an organic farmer, specifically a regenerative farmer. He has a small farm, or 90 acres if you'd like to call that small, and he practices farming regeneratively. Um, So today he's going to tell us a little bit about himself and what he does. What does your job entail? Uh, Many different things. So in growing food, um, it entails like seedbed prep, and weed management and getting products um, from the farm all the way to the end user, Um, storing grain, working with livestock and working with processors. And then it involves a little bit of marketing and uh, working with equipment, mechanic work. Yeah, and like the agronomics of just kind of farming in general. It entails other things like watching the weather, watching the markets. Um, you kind of have to be a little bit of like a soil scientist and not really a scientist, but kind of uh, have a basic understanding of how the soil works and how it uh, regenerates itself. As you heard, Luke does a lot. Not just the typical plant the seeds and watch the plants grow, then harvest them and sell them. And a lot goes into this. He puts a lot of thought into the farming that he does. He could just spray his entire farm with pesticides, only plant one or two crops per year. So next we're going to learn about how his farm is a little bit different from the typical farm. your farming practices are a little bit different from kind of large-scale commercial farming. So my next question is, how does your farm differ from a com- typical commercial farm? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that the, like the big ones would be that I don't use any chemicals. And then another big one would be I don't use any synthetic fertilizer. Another big one would be that I have a very diverse crop rotation. And then another big one would be that I have perennials in the rotation. Another one would be that we have livestock in the rotation. And the way that I market my crops is very different. Okay, would you like to talk a little bit more about that rotation and the different parts of it and why those parts are important? So the soil um, needs a living plant in it to be able to complete like its nutrient cycle. So with, with our rotation, each plant in that rotation kind of does something different for the soil. As an example, like alfalfa and soybeans and peas are all legumes and they put nitrogen into the soil and then which is very important. And another example would be like buckwheat cycles phosphorus really well. So I get my phosphorus from crops like that. And the rotation, I can just kind of talk about what my rotation is. It's, um, it's always changing and it's always dependent on what I can find markets for. 
but what I kind of push for is adding as much diversity as I can to my system. Because um, the more diverse that my system is, the better chance that it'll have to survive. So like right now I grow corn, soybeans, small grains, which include wheat, barley, flax, oats, and I, I put peas in that category as well. And then we grow perennials like Kernza and alfalfa, and we're introducing pasture into that rotation as well this year. What role does the livestock play in that rotation then? Like what does the livestock do to help with the growth of the food? So having livestock in the rotation, it gives me an opportunity to use the forages that I grow on my farm um, and feed them on the land. Um, so every time I grow a forage, I either have to feed it back on the land in order to have income from it or to sell it. And bringing livestock primarily allows me to keep those nutrients on the farm by having my, live, my livestock eat, eat that forage on the cropland where I can keep those nutrients instead of just selling that forage for money. But then I'm just, I have, I'm exporting a lot of nutrients when I do that. And then in an organic regenerative system, without being able to use synthetic fertilizer, you are, you know, you'd be depleting the soil. I'd like to intervene for just a second. You just heard Luke say that in organic farming, he does not use synthetic fertilizers on his soil. Now, the question is, why not? I mean, they ward off pests, and they help us grow crop yields greater, right? Well, in a book called Silent Spring by Rachel Carson, Carson says, that in Greek mythology, the sorceress Medea, enraged at being supplanted by a rival for the affections of her husband Jason, presented the new bride with a robe possessing magic properties. The wearer of the robe immediately suffered a violent death. This death by indirection now finds its counterpart in what are known as systemic insecticides. These are chemicals with extraordinary properties, which are used to convert plants or animals into a sort of Medea's rope by making them actually poisonous. This is done with the purpose of killing insects that may come in contact with them, especially by sucking their juices or blood. So what Carl Carson is trying to say is that an overwhelming use of pesticides is killing our population. So what Luke is trying to do is to find more traditional methods, which he's going to talk more about now. What are some of like the positives and negatives of how you practice regenerative farming opposed to using those pesticides? I guess some benefits are that we won't be losing like species of insects. Like right now there are species of insects that are going extinct because of industrial agriculture. Um, it might not be easy to see if you're not, if you don't live in farm, like an agri, like an intense industrial agricultural area, but what I'm just used to seeing and kind of grew up seeing is that every every square foot of soil 
you know, throughout the year get sprayed with some some sort of pesticide. They're trying to compete with the bugs. Um, whereas on, on my farm, working alongside of them and bringing in ben- beneficial insects, instead of trying to kill the one or two pests that I may have, I bring in like natural predators with certain crops. And then I have a, that rotation, which breaks the pest cycle. But the benefits of not using that is kind of kind of a bigger picture overall. I just think that it's important that we keep those insects and we don't we don't kill them. Are there any other ways that you're farming sustainable? Like in terms of how do you do you like preserve water in any kind of way or do you preserve tracts of land like you conserve them for forest rather than just planting? Yeah, yeah, we have set aside acres that's for wildlife that is just never disturbed. And then we actually try to include that on each farm. So there's always a place, you know, in each area that wildlife will have a place to escape to while we're working. Yeah, and like one big thing, like with that rotation and without using synthetic fertilizers or the chemicals and having livestock on the land um, is like building soil health. And then when we build soil health, our soil on, on our farms can hold a lot more water. So instead of the water running off, and the reason that it can hold a lot more water is because the soil is more porous and there's more air in it. And the soil particles, because we don't do any fall tillage, I think are, are more open. So when we get a large rainfall event, the soil can absorb that rainfall event versus it washing off and taking the topsoil with it, taking nutrients with it which go directly into a field tile or directly into a river, which then leads to more issues downstream. So we do conserve water in that way. We don't irrigate because we're really lucky and we live in a place that gets rain a lot. Um, But then we do conserve, we do kind of conserve that rainfall, which makes us more resilient to if we ever do have like a drought. important Luke just talked about was conserving soil so that it could absorb more water. Now when we talk about South Africa in um, one of the next episodes, you'll come to know that South Africa, one of its biggest problems is the droughts that it experiences. So I just wanted to put that in here and get you thinking about what's to come. And would you like to talk a little bit more, like, can you please explain what is tillage and then why do you avoid it? Yeah. So each year, like in an annual cropping system, for various reasons, farmers will go out and they basically run a steel shank through the ground to bust up compaction, uh, which comes from tire tracks and grain carts and from not having that rotation and those deep-rooted perennials, their ground gets compacted. In an attempt to reduce the compaction, they use fuel and steel, and they rip that ground back up again for next year. Another reason they do it is to kind of cover the trash and makes the ground really black on top. 
so the following spring they can get out there relatively early you know go over a lot of acres in a short amount of time it they kind of are trying to get as much done in the fall as they can so when spring work starts they can just kind of go out and plant on our farm instead of using those methods of uh, large tractors and burning a lot of fuel and running you know steel through the ground to bust up the compaction things that we do is we plant cover crops like tillage radish um, where that that seed that we plant has a tap root on it and uh, it's a tillage radish that's what they call it and instead of like smearing the ground sideways to bust up compaction this tillage radish does what it's like meant to do and it busts through the compaction this way um, growing down and that allows you know when that tillage radish freezes and dies will literally leave a hole in the ground like six or seven inches deep that it and that six or seven inches is deeper than we can go with like a tillage equipment uh, anyway so we're busting up that hard pan busting up compaction uh, with those cover crops and with having small grains in the rotation we're covering every square inch of the soil with a living root versus like row crops like corn and soybeans they're 30 inches apart all the soil isn't getting roots in it to kind of break up those soil particles a big one is is the perennials that cover every inch of the, of the soil and they they have deep root systems um, that are in the ground for like three to five years at a time so uh, the ground really gets loosened up that way and allows for water infiltration and things like that so those are our methods to you know instead of tillage we do those things and what are some positive social aspects do you think of your farming methods yeah so I, I like the, the it's kind of big picture when you go to social and it's it's really not immediate like well even like within the community it kind of is because we do a lot of different practice we, we grow a lot of different crops which requires a lot of different equipment which involves a lot of creativity and we're always trying something new so we're always like in town spending money at the welding shop or the hardware store or the local implement you know versus you know like we don't rely on anybody for our weed management so like we're always coming up with new cultivating equipment ideas um, and all that money stays within the community above and beyond that outside of our community directly it, or part of that is you know it it takes more farmers instead of less with this system too so overall there's more eyes to acres ratio which would mean that there'd be more people living in rural areas instead of less kind of building that local economy so outside of that, the next step would be when our grain leaves the farm, um, we market it to buyers that are kind of conscious of how that food was grown, that, you know, does it have a, a, an impact on climate in a good way? And is it good for the soil and good for our water? And they intentionally buy from us because they know how it was grown. Their customers also want to know how their food was grown. So we kind of create like this local supply chain that uh, where the money kind of stays with between people 
and not corporations. Whereas if we just bought our fertilizer and our chemicals and our seed, it would all go to a corporation. Whereas with this system, it's all staying, we're buying and selling directly from people. Um, and most of the time that's really like small businesses and um, the transparency is kind of a part of that. So socially being transparent, um, customers have an option to buy from somebody that is using the land correctly. Um, and then as to keep kind of going on the social aspect, another piece would be that water quality has an impact on society and climate has an impact on society. So when we're growing these continuous living cover crops or continuous living crops and these perennials and these cover crops and um, by creating healthy soil, we're able to store more carbon per acre. Um, so storing more carbon per acre, we feel that we're doing the best we can as far as how do we deal with the climate crisis because the best way to store carbon is in the soil where it belongs. So like when you look at soil, um, it's black. And the reason that it's black is because it's carbon based. Yeah. And then I, I think that's kind of most of it socially. That's a tough one because um, it's kind of not directly, it's not right in front of us, but overall it's, it's there. So. back to what Meyer said in the last episode and his concept of solastalgia. The type of farming Luke does can, connects people to their food and where it was grown. So something to think about is does this farming prevent solastalgia and even further anticipatory solastalgia? As people know where their food is coming from so they're more connected to farmlands and in turn, that allows them to put more effort into making sure that those farmlands do not become wastelands. And that causes um, future generations and youth um, decrease their anticipatory solastalgia as they know that they're going to have that land for farming in the future. That's just something I'd like to add. if this is an intruding question but like how do your yields differ from those of to, to the extent of your knowledge to those of other um farmers who use different practices than you yeah that's not intruding at all um so we always are above county average so we're always right in line with county average yields and you know in an off year which we, most of the time you always have okay years and, um, but in an off year where we have a, like a catastrophic weather event, I would say our yields sometimes do better. And kind of another thing to add to that is that yield necessarily doesn't always equate to, to more food. When we talk about agriculture and we talk about yield, we're always kind of talking about conventional corn that's growing 225 bushel an acre corn. And half of the U.S. corn crop ends up going for ethanol anyway and then it's fed to livestock and it's annual crop and it's animal-based agriculture 
in a way we're, we're feeding more animals whereas if we had a different system that you know farms like mine that ha- that could compete with the yield game um, we would still be able to grow a lot of food interesting point here. Not all the food we grow goes directly to our tables. So something to think about um, when we're trying to solve the United Nations Sustainable Development Goal or trying to reach that goal of zero hunger is where are we planning for our crops to be headed? Is it going to cost us more because we're feeding livestock corn? Or would it be better to follow organic methods where we feed our livestock the leftovers of our crops? You think that as you said before, like the having the crops like all planted together and not like spaced apart. Do you think that that has anything to do with how much how much you're able to grow? Uh, no, no, it's that's mainly that like corn and soybeans, and I talk about them a lot because that's that's all that's grown in my in the Midwest, basically. Not all, but mostly. They're just the way that they're planted is in 30 inch rows. They're, they're a row crop and I do grow corn and soybeans the same way it's just that when you can add a crop that does cover each each square inch of the entire farm um, it's just getting roots in all of the soil to to kind of build soil health and roots kind of equate to organic matter and organic matter kind of equates to carbon and then that's one way that we build fertility so You have all of this like knowledge of farming and I'm just wondering where does it come from? Like, is it, do you have like parents or grandparents that taught it to you? Did you go to some kind of school or are you kind of just figuring this out by yourself? Yeah, uh, kind of figuring it out by myself. I have a, a farming mentor named Carmen Fernhals and he's been farming this way for 40 years. Um, so he's given me a lot of knowledge on how to farm without chemicals. And then I'm pulling from other resources, like now with introducing livestock on people that have farmed with livestock for 40, 40 years. And then I'm trying to bring as much diversity that I can. So I kind of find my experts in each field that I want to bring to the farm. And then all of them are like super open to exchanging that information and like super cool people. So if I ever have any questions or problems, they're always right there to help out. And YouTube's pretty cool too. What does farming mean to you? So what does your job mean to you? It means a lot of things. Like um, first first off, I think it's really important to kind of keep that, keep in mind that farming agriculture um, was how we built culture in the first place, you know, which to me means community. So having that sense of community is kind of where it all started. And I really, I really like like that piece. I really like people. I really, I'm very social. I think, um, 
I like to be anyway. I like to be around people. So like when I see farms getting much bigger and there being less of them, and I, that's kind of sad to me. Um, so that that's one part of it is having a sense of community. And then the other part is that we are actually growing food, um, and that we're that I want to not grow commodities so much, and I want to grow things that, after they go through the supply chain, are beneficial to the overall public in general. And then another piece is having resiliency within the system, so like farming in a way that creates resiliency. Whereas if we have a small hangup somewhere, something happens that everything doesn't like fall apart. So yeah, so like and transparency, farming to me uh, means that there should be transparency within that system. So people have a choice and that they know what it is they're actually eating. And I think it also mean has a lot to do with like the health of plants and animals and our planet and people. Many thanks to Luke for being part of this podcast. It was great to be able to speak with him and get a a first-hand account of what goes into farming and how much we can do to stay connected to our land and the food that we eat. Um, Something that goes along with that will be on our next episode. We're talking about natives and the indigenous food lab and indigenous food systems and how those things can bring us back to our roots. So thank you for listening. See you soon.